they're still worth like tens of billions of dollars, apps that you have never seen before. So it's just insane the valuations that you have on these dating apps. And the second thing is like finance apps, you know, apps that make you more money. If I think about like, it's like what my co-founder said, it makes sense because it's always about like what people want to do, you know, like they want to have, a, you know, date someone, you know, go on a date or something or make more money. I noticed you have on your your LinkedIn profile growth mentor or a you know business mentor at Growth Mentor. So I actually met uh, uh, Fody, I think is how he says his name. I met him like years and years ago, and he was building Growth oh, nice. Mentor. Uh, he was reaching out to me and like bouncing the prototypes and the UI screens off of me on that one. And uh, it's so awesome. Like it seems like that community's built up really big. Is that uh, something that you're pretty you know active in? So I, I help a little bit with, you know, the process of, um, you know, helping other folks. I just wanted in the beginning to, uh, to, to, you know, give a little bit back because when I was, you know, starting the business, you know, we had a lot of mentors and it was really hard for me to find them, you know, like it was always like something of, of a pain, you know, trying to find them and everything. Um, I, I, couldn't really like when I knew someone that could help me like because of a community or even like a startup hub or something I would ask them for time but then I, I felt like I maybe I should pay yours for something like I'm using your time and you are like the super CEO or something you know uh so it was always weird and and everything and uh, and I just wanted to be part of something to to help back and uh, you know to give a little bit of feedback sometimes I can help sometimes I cannot you know like mentorship is not always about giving you the right answer sometimes about you know driving you a little bit crazier right so you never know what's going to be uh but i thought you know i applied there so i i part of that i i got an invitation from him to join and also i joined another one called um plato i think um so they all work similarly i think you know different networks just uh but uh it's a it's a tough business model, I have to say. You know, I don't know how how they figure it out, but I think it's a tough business model for them, at least. You know, how to build that community. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, well, let's let's dive in here. The uh, you know the, the the main business you're working on now is Innovent, which is an events platform. I think you know you guys started back in 2018, so pre-pandemic. Obviously, it was back then. Probably, I would have to imagine mostly in-person events, and then uh, with the pandemic, you guys of course, pivoted and moved into hybrid and, you know, uh, virtual. And now, you know, we're back to kind of we're past, you know, it seems like we're pretty much past the pandemic at this point. So we're back to in person again. So would love to hear your journey. You're a Y Combinator grad, right? You guys went through the the YC program with an event. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to dive into that. Would love to kind of hear what inspired you guys to build this business. And also, what was it like to be at YC? Yeah, I mean, we actually had the first idea for the business in 2012. Uh, that's when we started, got started. And at the time, we just wanted to build something together. Um, I was in college and trying to find different uh, co-founders. So basically, like, uh, <laughs> that was the time where we, we were just hanging out, you know, equity stakes in a company, like, out of nowhere. Uh, people would come to me, you know, when like, because... I started the idea and I started pitching this to other people, you know, around college. So I would say like, I have this startup, you know, we're doing events or so, or we're doing lots of other ideas. We'd like to be part of it. 
And then people would say, yeah, I want to do that. I can do design. I'm like, yeah, now you're you're a founder as well. Like here, take 10% of the company. You know, <laughs> I used to do that, you know, like the very early ages. Um, How many founders do you have with you? I think we had nine or 10 founders. You wow. Know? Are you yeah, the biggest was... uh, shareholder in the company or? Um... Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yeah. But it was it was tough because you know some people would join for like two days and then they're like oh I left and I'm like I'm gonna take your equity back like <laughs> we didn't have any issues something but um, that was that those were the first days and then um, you know starting a business is really tough because everything's expensive but customers want to pay as much, as little as possible right and you don't have a product so you cannot charge something very like you cannot charge much for a product because it's worth nothing, you know, like you've been working on this for like one month. So how are you going to do that? So um, a lot of things go into the financial reasons why people left, you know, and uh, we we had a really tough time getting started because we had no experience. Like we knew nothing about business. Uh, first customer that we had was eight months later, you know, after we started the business. And then uh, the second customer came uh, 16 months later, six, 16 to 17. So it took a lot of time to find the first two customers. And we just kept building the business. What were you over, doing at that time to find customers? Like, was it like, you know, cold outreach? Was it, you know, paid paid ads? Or how, how were you attracting those first early customers? Yeah, we were just doing cold outreaches. Like I would see it on the university, you know, like there was a cold room. They called this cold storage where people would go to do their presentations, you know, like um, uh, like for to apply for something and etc so there was this room and then there was like something attached to it so I'll go there and stay there calling people using skype every single day uh <laughs> skype was the thing at a time there was no google Meet or zoom or any other you know app to call people you know on the app you were store just literally like cold calling phone numbers using skype yeah just just skype them yeah yeah and i'll put you know some credits i had like five dollars a day or so and i'll just call them and see what was the reaction um so we 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 were doing that and then like we found for customers so what we do is that we would visit them you know like some of them say like i have have an agency you know we have this you know event that's going to be a wellness event or whatever and some of them like every hundred times that we heard a no sometimes someone would say yes for a visit so we'll go there in person and show them the mobile app that we had at the time and Basically, the business grew out of that. So like after four or five years doing that, like we already had maybe five or six employees, you know, within the company, um, which was like very like small at the time, you know, after five years of doing that. But we were also very young. So for us, it was fun. Like we're doing these trade shows, going there, you know, building the trade shows, everything, um, you know. So what we decided in 2018 was like, you know, we need to scale this, you know, we need to go from, you know, like just selling $100,000 a year to maybe, you know, becoming more like a million dollars or go. And the first step that we had, like, let's apply to a bunch of accelerators, you know, let's apply to Y Combinator, Techstars, you know, uh, 500 startups, you know, and see what they're going to say. So we already had the software, you know, the software was for processing payments and, you know, allowing them to sell tickets and doing check-in. So we go to like the badge, we had the harder, you know, so you just show your QR code and you print a badge for you. So we had developed all of those in-house. Um, and then we, we, we went there to the, to all these accelerator programs and we, it's funny, right? Because you, you always think that the largest program, which is Y Combinator 
is going to be the first one to reject you, right? Like, that's what you think, you know, something wrong is going to happen here. Like, we're going to give you out of this and we're going to kill the idea very quickly. And they were the first one to say, like, yes, we'd like to interview you, right? So it's funny, like, that it, maybe they're the best because they're always quicker than everybody else to make decisions and be the first one to say, like, yes, we want you guys to be here with us. So it's actually a funny story. Like, we got there uh, to the interview. They said, you know, like, you guys uh, sit here. Like, we're going to have an interview. The interview lasts for 10 minutes for the first Eight minutes, they ask questions and everything. We answered them very quickly. And then they say, we're done. And we're like, oh, our business is so boring. Like they didn't have even 10 minutes of questions to ask us. So we just <laughs> we just got expelled from the room. You know, like we're like, oh, it's it's done. Let's go back from uh, we, that, that interview was in um, in California, right? In Mountain View, where we, we have the office, the Y Combinator office. So he said, let's not even wait. Let's go home already, you know, because of course we're not selected for this. And he passes a few hours, it's like 5 or 6 p.m. We're like, you know, they did interview a lot of people, you know, we're, we're, we're out already. And let's go to Walmart and you know, let's keep building the business and everything. So we're Walmart and then they call us and they said, hey guys and everything, like we're going through your, your info and everything. And we thought you guys built so much product in the last few years, we couldn't believe it, you know, and everything. So... But we decided to accept, you know, we decided to, you know, invite you to join the program, like Y Combinator. And we're like, are you sure? You know, like, there's that not, <laughs> like, we don't understand what's going on. And he said, no, like, we like to invite you. And then, like, I'm, I went in negotiation mode. I'm like, okay, so maybe I'm going to think about it. You know, maybe I should go and, and think if Techstars also wants to negotiate the equity or something. And the guy said, like, that's not the way that should, this should go. Like, it's just, you should say yes right now, you know, and get this approved. And then we were like, awesome, you know, like, yes. And then we started screaming at Walmart, you know, like the, that's the first time I still remember, like, we still have, um, we're still not allowed to go back to that Walmart because we started screaming so loud and, you know, yeah. and just running around. <laughs> the they escort you out. You're like screaming, like, yeah, we're in YC. And then, yeah, we're you know, the security guard comes yeah, and like, picks you out. <laughs> It was a very emotional thing because we applied to YC, you know, three times. You know, the first time was 2012, like when we had the very first idea. Then we applied 2014 when we had a very few, like we had two clients. So we said, let's apply there and see what they're going to say. And then we applied back in 2018, uh, 2018, 19, and then we got accepted. So uh, some founders think, you know, like it's uh, you apply once and if it's yes or no. And for us, it was a five-year journey, you know, like we're waiting for this for a long time. You know? Wow. Did you get to meet Sam Al Sam Altman at all, or he wasn't there when you were there? Uh, he was not there at the time. So we met with Paul Bouquet, which is the founder of Gmail. Um, we met also with uh, Brad Flora, which is uh, an upcoming uh, partner, uh, part of the program. Um, we also met with Michael Seibel, like which was uh, like the main person there and everything. And then we also met with other investors that were not part of the YC at the time, but now have joined. So. Um, for example, we met with, um, which is something like Gary Ten, for example, and Ohanian, which are the founders of Reddit, like yeah, they yeah. were investing cool. at the time. We met with them also there. Well, we went to their office, you know, they, everything is surreal, right? Because we were there and they're thinking like, you found Reddit, like, why are you talking to me? You know, like, <laughs> like it makes, it still makes no sense. I mean, like we're building these businesses and like people 
like the largest internet companies in the world, they want to talk to us. So, and you, and at uh, the it, time it, though, you were still like a hundred thousand dollars ARR, and you're in the same room with Alexis Ohanian talking about how to build this thing yes. up. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's an interesting fact. You know how how like these, you know, top CEOs, you know, top founders, they they appreciate IC so much, you know, because they see the value there, and. After you grow the business, you know, you you really want to pay that back because, you know, at the time we were really small and today we're still a small company. Like we only have 150 employees, you know, like it's not that we are, you know, on the thousands or, you know, like Airbnb or so kind of style of where they have 10,000 employees or 50,000 employees. Uh, we're still a, a very small company. So, but, you know, like they, they really see the value of being early stage and the idea of the the idea can get a lot of value and you can grow that very quickly. So um, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, so uh, would you do YC again with another startup if you built a new company? Yes. I mean, YC is great. You know, like they understand really well the, the process to, you know, trigger an idea to be something moving forward, you know, like not just like a waiting process of, because that's this is the challenge, right? Like when you had the when you have the idea, you gotta act on it, right? You gotta transform this into business, you know, that's going to be measurable and you're going to be able to track, you know, new customers, new active users, or you know, new revenue or whatever, or customer renewals. Like you gotta have a metric on this. And those are really boring things, honestly. Like, you know, dealing with customer issues, like they don't customers are really not looking for, you know like the coolest thing all the time, you know, sometimes, especially B2B businesses, they just have a problem. It usually is a boring problem to solve. And they just want a solution that's going to address that. Even if you have like a super cool tech that's going to work on that, you also have to go through the fundamental, right? Which is customer support, you know, like how you're going to implement the contracts, you know, all these legal stuff. So it's usually a process that the founders usually skip back and they say, yeah, like we'd rather stay with the cool stuff, you know, meeting with all these, you know, amazing founders that, you know, are super famous or trying to raise money in doing those things. So they don't really click in on the boring kind of things. Um, and they don't, don't go to the next phase. So YC is really focused on that. Like you got to do those things. Like you got to be able to identify what are the metrics and be able to work on them and show progress today. Uh, that's how you're going to build a business. It's not going to, you're not going to build a business by raising, you know, a billion dollars. You're going to build a business by having a billion customers, you know? So that's basically the thought process that they have. And they know how to influence you to make, to really show progress every week on your customers and everything. You know? Well, so many founders celebrate raising a round more than they celebrate closing a deal. Well, which is I think it's complicated. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like closing they, a deal, getting a customer. That's like the real success. Like getting getting money into your bank account. That's like the real success when your product's working and you have a consistent, you know, you built something, you know how to market and sell it, you know how to attract customers, you know how to take them through a buying journey. And then they, you know, sign up, they sign the contract, they write a check or they, you know, put in their credit card and then, you know, doing that on repeat. Like that's that's what a business yeah. is. And exactly. Uh, you know, it's often like celebrated more, like you hear it more in the tabloids or in like the TechCrunch, you know, publications out there that say, uh, oh, ABC startup just raised a hundred million dollar C round yeah. or something. And, uh, you know, it's like, that's what gets celebrated more than, you know, this company just sold a, you know, $200,000 contract. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the process is the media needs to have a 
clear public metric to evaluate different businesses, you know, like how do they compare? So revenue is really tough, you know, like to compare, like how you're going to compare different businesses. Uh, one may not have revenue, you know, like there are big companies that they, they still have revenue and they're worth, you know, billions of dollars. So what's the only metric that I think that's common among all these companies is the valuation. And the most clear way to calculate valuation is basically a multiple of what your largest investor invested on in your company, right? So that's why I think everyone is really attached to how much money you raise because that provides a very clear valuation. Even YC does that, like they they say it's not the best metric, but that's the only metric that they have. Uh, how to evaluate the top YC companies, it's basically a multiple of the valuation that they have. Um, so companies that are bootstrapped, usually they struggle with this because there is no clear way to measure their valuation. I know, for example, if you're worth, if you have $5 million in revenue, how much are you worth? You know, $10 million or $3 billion? Like that's a multiple that you have to define if you have not raised any money internally. But if there is an investor that agreed on a valuation and put, you know, like $10 million on your business, that's a very clear indication of how much your business is worth, right? So well, there, there's metrics for that. I mean, like a B2B SaaS company, let's take the $5 million example. Uh, a B2B SaaS company typically values on like a multiple of revenue. So, you know, it could be yeah. anywhere, you know, the last couple of years, it was really high multiples. It's come down a lot, but, you know, I would guess somewhere like between 4X and like 8X revenue is a valuation. So let's say it's like 5X revenue. They've got $5 million in revenue, then they're, you know, $25 million valuation based on, uh, you know, based on the, those, those uh, metrics. Yeah, I, I understand that, but those numbers are not attractive as the, the option to raise, uh, you know, venture capital because venture capital, for example, for giving our own example, like our multiple at the time during YC was 60 X, 62 X. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that that's way more attractive you know that's what i'm saying like it's i i rather not stick with those 5x you know like i want to go to 62 you know like it's a way to prove the business and um i'd rather be worth 50, 62x our money than 5x you know so but when it was 60x I, what, what was your revenue at the time uh i think it was like two million dollars or so i think oh, the business, wow. you, yeah the business was worth like 150 million dollars you know so that that's was an incredible uh, valuation yeah yeah. So, and that, and we were not even the, the, um, the closest like thing. Like if you look at other companies like Figma or like, um, they got acquired by Adobe or so, I think the valuation, the multiple that were there, they were having was like 300 X, you know, 200 X. So those numbers, when you go like to venture capital markets, it, they just get, it's so more attractive than five X, which is a standard, you know, SaaS valuation or so that you're just driven to like, let's get into that game, you know, let's get into the game of trying to raise money because I, I want to be worth like a billion dollars today, not, you know, five years from now or so. Well, did, did you ever do a secondary with your, with your business or any, actually, did you raise money at all with uh, any event? We or? Raised, yeah. We raised about $5 million. Yeah. Okay. And how um, many rounds is that one round or multiple? One round only. Yeah. It was a seed stage part of YC. So you do YC and then you have a demo day. And then it's really fuzzy, the process after that, like, because sometimes, you know, I've seen people raise, you know, $3 million that day, you know, like you have the demo day today and then tomorrow you already have 3 million and it's, it's your round is closed. But sometimes we have founders like ours, like we took us one and a half years post demo day to close the round, you know, so we worked a little bit on that and there were 
some pivots and everything. But that's basically one round that we did post YC, so which re really helped a lot. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. But that's that's so that's impressive though. Like to me, all right. So you raised a seed round. That's cool. Uh, and then you became, you know, you grew a business. Like you actually, you focused on business fundamentals after your seed round and took a $5 million seed round. You can't hire 150 employees on $5 million. So you yeah. have to, you have to go and actually build a real business to get to 150 employees. So you took that seed round and turned it into a real business, uh, which is like, to me, that's really awesome. You kind of took the best of both worlds. Like you did, you did like the the VC, you know, capital injection in the beginning. And then quickly, you know, instead of trying to focus on, you know, all right, we got our seed round. So let's, you know, spend some money. And then in six months, go out and try to raise an A rounds. You didn't do that. You went for, all right, we got our seed round. How do we turn this $5 million into a profitable business that we can scale? And yeah. uh, so I really admire that, to be honest. Nice. Nice. Cool. But one thing that, you know, we thought about venture capital is that we didn't really need the money. Like we, the $5 million, like it, it, it was not the main driver, like getting the 5 million specifically. What we really wanted was the credibility from the investors. Um, I think that's really key because we specifically work with companies that are public traded and, you know, government entities and everyone. And the process to get certified, you know, and get approved, you know, sometimes they ask, you know, who invested on you guys, you know, from who you have, who made money. So that's a very key question. And sometimes you can say, look, I've been trading for, you know, multiple years, we have multiple clients and everything, but we didn't have multiple clients at the time because we're just starting. Um, and, and, and it's just tough, you know, customers don't believe you like in the beginning because you have no references. So how do you work through that? One way is basically to raise money from a very credible investor and you say, look, this company that also invested on, you know, in Airbnb, you know, Stripe and all these things, they also invested in us. So we are a credible company and the customer really trusts you on there. So that's just a key thing like that people can think about when they're like, I want to start a business, but I have, I'm young and I have no references at all in my life. Like, what can I do? So that's a way to avoid and overcome that problem. Yeah, yeah cool. So what's, uh, what's like a typical customer for you guys? You mentioned some governments or B2B. What's, you know, what, are you going after these big higher value contracts or are you guys more of like a product-led growth uh you know smb product or is it both well i think product-led is a little bit tough for us uh, because when you host an event when you host a meeting or when you're coming up with those implementations um uh, the product-led approach um it's sometimes tough like our customers never do a trial um in the beginning of the process, they never go there and do a self trial on the website. They don't click sign up or anything like that. They may want to do a trial later, you know, after we had a discovery call, after we got in touch with them, after we did multiple demos, they may say like, now I want to try the product a little bit because I just want to see that, you know, it, it works, it exists and everything. But we first have to do all this outbound approach and then maybe capture the leads also inbound works well. Like we put the, you know, forms on the website and customers reach out to us and we book demos. So that helps a lot as well, but we have always been focused on like larger organizations, you know, at least 500 employees or so they're lower. We're hosting at least events with 500 people or more. 
and we help them book those. And we address that. Usually there is a very traditional straightforward process, which is, you know, we book a call, there is a discovery call, we learn about you, you know, we provide them, schedule a demo, and then we demonstrate the product based on your requirements. And then we move forward to, you know, maybe a contract or getting started, but there is an implementation plan. You know, we, we have a person that works with you. So it's a very traditional thing that, that we do that cl clients require as well. And I think this formality, um, it's very common among larger companies. You know, they want to do a formal implementation plan, get legal to work on the contract and all those things. Um, it's a lot of resources, you know, like it, it takes a lot of time. So it, the, the money got to be worth, you know, what the deal is requiring. You know, you cannot charge, you know, $3,000 on a deal that's going to take you a full legal review. It doesn't make sense financially. So since our clients always require that, we always have to be charging, you know, like, at least five digits, you know, at least to get started. Yeah. yeah I mean, I have a uh, software services company. Uh, so we do like, you know, product development for, uh, for companies. And that's, uh, you know, you just as exactly described our sales process. And, you know, most of our deals are six, you know, sometimes seven figure deals, but uh, you know, it's very time consuming. Like you have to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, going out and finding the right prospects, getting the right messaging, getting the right inbound funnels, you know, so getting the right people into the conversation with you. And then you go through like multiple stages of meetings, creating the solution, uh, building the value. And then, you know, once you do win the deal uh, or once you do get the verbal, like the interest, my um, my, uh, my my director of business development at, at CuroTech, my, my business, uh, he, he calls the lawyers the uh, sales prevention team, the SPT. <laughs> so uh, he's like, all right, the contract's with SPT. <laughs> so we'll see, uh, we'll see if the deal falls through or not. <laughs> no, like contracts should be just a podcast, you know, because contracts are so tough, you know, uh, sometimes to find a solution. Uh, customers want specific things and you got to charge more because of that. And, you know, and it's really, it really is a sales prevention process, you know, because, um, people just want to change sometimes things, you know, to protect themselves out of nowhere. And it, it, it drives more, you need to charge more. And then like, people are not like, we're not going to have the business together unless you take the risk. So, um, it's, it's, a uh, after the legal review, I'm, I'm, I'm usually, you know, like thinking that the contract's going to go through. But after that, like before that, I'm like, hmm, that's not going to work so well. <laughs> so I don't know if you're like me, but you know, like I've, I'm obviously, I'm not a lawyer. I never went to law school. I don't study this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've been involved in so many deals, so many, con and, you know, MSAs, uh, whatever, like all these different contracts, employment contracts, all sorts of stuff, acquisition, you know, M&A stuff, asset purchases, operating agreements, all this stuff. I've done so many contracts that I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of law at this point, like contract yeah, law. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Like sometimes I feel like we send in a contract, we send in an MSA or something to a client and it's just like their legal team just has to go and make changes just because it's what they do. It's not because they actually need the changes, but they just want to like change things. Yeah. And then the lawyers just go back and forth and then they they'll like they'll just go back and forth on words that make no difference and just like tweak little tiny sentences you know they'll add like commas and stuff and uh <laughs> and this is like what happens for like a week you know it goes back and forth between the lawyers and it just blows my mind sometimes like me and you like we're business guys we just want to get the deal done move on deliver you know do a good job secure the customer long-term on goodwill and then go and do that again with another customer. 
And, uh, you know, and I think we just, we think differently than like a, a, a general counsel lawyer would think. Uh, it's just, yeah. it's interesting to see it. Yeah, like the, I totally agree. You know, like the main thing for me, like when I'm reviewing a contract that, you know, like someone assigns to me or I have to sign is, I'm just thinking about the liability. I think I think that's the main thing, you know, like usually on contracts, which is what's going to happen, you know, if that contract, you know, has any problems at all. You know, like I think that's the main thing because every everything else is basically like you providing value for the customer, right? So if they want to change something, like you need to comply with those regulations or you need to deploy the product by certain dates or like this is basically like customer requests that you need to fulfill. Like basically like you need to request this to be earlier. Like it's okay. We charge you more a little bit, but you know, that can be done. So that's not a problem. The only thing that really gets to be critical is the liability. You know, like if something goes wrong, you know, what's going to be the, the bill that's going to come out of that. So uh, uh, identification as well, but everything else. Uh, and that's not legal device, just to say I'm not a lawyer as well. I always have to say that it's not legal device. But that's what I always think when I'm reviewing the contracts about uh, those key terms and everything. Yeah. So, but you you said something really interesting. Like we, it, it seems like we now have a uh, general understanding of the law, and then it it actually drives a few interesting things because now you realize that you can actually understand more about the law in general, not just related to business contracts, right? So, like when I'm something related, like when I'm traveling or when I'm in an airplane, and like what are the passenger rights, you know? So. Since we have so much experience understanding like legal terms in, as a whole, like at least for me, I don't have difficulty to go through like passenger rights and read them, you know, and be like, oh, so these are my rights, you know, I understand them. And I feel that I understand them better than like someone else, you know, because I, I'm reading so many contracts usually that I'm like, this is actually easier for me to understand and to exert my rights than everybody else. So it's a benefit, you know, like I think you get a general knowledge of, you know, how society works and everything by having to review all these contracts usually. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing too, that I think, you know, this this was my perception before I got, you know, before I became a CEO and started to uh, yeah. do all this, you know, CEO stuff like contracts. Uh, I used to just think of the law as like very black and white. And it was just, you, you yeah. either were breaking the law or you're not breaking the law. And it's just, you know, it's like, it's black or white, it's on or off, it's binary. And uh, what I learned, and this like shaped my perception of the entire world in general, is that everything is negotiable, everything is fluid, everything is like, there's no black and white, there's a million shades of gray in between. And uh, like, it's not, you know, it, something's not good or bad, it's not true or false, there's just, there's like negotiation and wiggle room and everything. And you also, even if you think you have a perfect contract, it doesn't, it's not actually known until it gets tested. And the way it gets tested is that it gets presented in court to a judge and a jury. And then they're just people, they decide what they think. Like, so it's somebody else's opinion. So like the contract itself is like this fluid document that ultimately becomes a known, like the performance, the quality and the performance of the contract itself becomes known when it gets tested in, in essentially a legal battle. And the outcome is purely determined by people's opinions. And, exactly. uh, and like, and their understanding of the law, which is also a fluid, you know, non-binary yeah. non thing as well. So it's just, and then, and then when you start to realize this, you realize the entire world works that way. And, uh, and I, I think about it, it's like, you know, I feel like most people, you know, people think there's like, you know, politicians and 
CEOs and executives and like these business, you know, these world leaders and business leaders, I, they all have it all figured out. But like, I think actually nobody, like, I, I think nobody knows in the grand scheme of things, like the grand scheme of knowledge, you know, human knowledge, and then, you know, universe knowledge, nobody really knows anything. Like we know such a small fraction, like our knowledge is like the size of our earth in the universe. And, uh, and then when you realize that and realize we're all just operating in, in life, with that limited baseline it's like it really it changes my perspective on just how things work and uh when I, I always write things down i have a no, i have like hundreds of notion docs where i just like write down concepts and ideas and i wrote something down the other day i wrote down that you know the the, the two main types of people in this world there's those that see the world as rigid and binary and those that see the world as fluid and malleable mm -hmm. and uh so like this legal stuff you know, it kind of opens you up into that way of like malleable fluid thinking. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You know, like it's, it's something that there is no final say or anything, even like if you're doing something really wrong, like it's still, it's fluid. Like the, it's never, it's never clear. And one thing that also changed my perception is that I thought of lawyers as like, I go to a lawyer because I want them to do something. Look, I, I have this problem. I pay you, you solve my problem. I always thought of them as like a superior entity that's going to be able to, you know, just go there, talk to people and then like my problem solved. And and that's not really that. Like, I think lawyers are just like computer programmers, you know, like because I'm a computer programmer, they just have this book, you know, like, which is basically the constitution and you know, the, the, all the, the codes that are attached to it. And they have, those are the tools, you know, each law is basically a tool, right? So they just need to know how to apply it, you know, in our in our favor right but that's it like they're not basically judging us or anything they're just saying look the problem that you have there is this tool here that are, you know this bill of rights that allows you to have this right so like for your problem let's apply this tool and that's why you're gonna win it like and understanding of the the tools like understanding what's written there on the tool i think that's where it comes like the knowledge of like oh so the way that this is written can also be applied to something else that we never thought about before. So that's the interesting part, you know, is understanding how can you get a tool that's not very clearly, you know, written and apply this to something else, right? So Yeah, that's cool. I totally agree with you on that. Uh, I love that analogy of like the computer programmer. It's and then like running like the contract is your application and then you have to run it yeah, and yeah. see if it works or not. <laughs> exactly. I, like that. I, think, I think it's the same, yeah. Um, all right, I want to I want to uh, explore something with you. Um, have you ever done uh, Have you ever done any uh, consumer uh, products or consumer businesses before? Well, when we when we got started and we're that ideation phase, you know, in college and everything, we we had like seven or eight ideas um, at the time. So all all of them were uh, consumer, you know, B two C, and we had uh, like so many. We had this idea to have a restaurant app that basically you order before you get to the restaurant so you're going to the restaurant and you're like i, I already know what i'm going to order so why do i have to get there tell the you know the waiter or something what i want wait 30 minutes and then get that so since it's going to be 30 minutes there i already order when i left when i leave my house and when i get there it's already cooked you know so i can just eat that so that was an idea that we had then we had another app to drink water and uh, that was also cool to remind um, you to drink water yeah, it just like pops and it's like a wellness app at a time. What was it called? Yeah. I, I might have used that one time. 
<laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it, it never like we we had this, but then like it didn't work, so we deleted this from the App Store. You know, like uh, I had an app at one is. point that reminded me because I I just yeah. like I, I was coding a lot back then, so I just get in a zone and I'll just code for like sixteen hours straight, and then. I'll realize after like eight hours that I didn't drink a single sip of water and I have to go to the bathroom yeah. really bad. And then it's yeah. like, oh crap. But then it's like, I don't want to stop. So then I code for another hour and then it's like, all right, finally I'll get up and then I'll like go. And then I completely lose my flow state and then I have to come back. And <laughs> yeah, it's tough. You know, like today I, I carry like three of those, like when I'm around. So at least, you know, like with all this swag stuff with events, I, I got like a lot of these. So that's good because otherwise I, I had the same problem, you know, like it'd be like hours, you know, and I'm like, I didn't drink something and like, ah, it's crazy, which is also something weird, like, because when you need to go to the bathroom, you get a real state of what is your health right now in real time. You know, that's something weird, right? If you think about it, like, um, you should always have, you know, something that is clear as water. You know, that's basically what you want to have, you know, for your health. So if something is not clear as water, like it's probably something that you're not drinking water enough. So you should like get a warning. It's like getting a blood test and getting back with like a, a nap, you know, like you're ready enough right now. Like you should just drink water, you know, because your body telling you that something's not right. So uh, that's something that I use as well. It's like, you know, an indication of, you know, how I'm treating my health. But back to what we were talking about, what we were talking about, we were... Uh, so I, I want to show you something I just saw, but on that yeah, uh, bathroom ideas, yeah. topic, so this, this will be a funny episode. We're getting deep into bathroom habits, but uh, yes. I saw a startup recently, they're a toilet, but they have like, it's a smart toilet that does like tests. So when you use the bathroom, it will like test, you know, and then send you health reports to, to an app. It'll say like, mm -hmm. all right, we just did an analysis and, you know, here's like, you're dehydrated a little bit, you're you know, you're deficient in these minerals or something. So it's like real-time feedback, <laughs> literally, like yeah. you said, but it's like data, you know, data-driven like app feedback. Uh, I don't know how good their their tests are accurate or, you know, how much of, you know, how many tests they do that are important. But uh, that one was really, uh, I, forget what the, I forget what the company's called. I'll have to look that up and figure it out. But uh, so I, I'm mostly a B2B guy as well. I don't, I don't really do much in the, D to C yeah. or consumer space, but I saw this company that just came out recently. I'm going to share my screen. Uh, it's blowing my mind. So uh, you come to the you come to the website and it says, "Are you single?" Yeah. And uh, if you press no, then it says this product is just for single people who want to who are in a position to meet other people. But if you say yes, it takes you into the app, and it's not even really clear what it is, but it's like it's getting it's getting like uh, publicity everywhere. So it says, this is not a dating app. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a ring. So if you scroll down, it's this, this like teal ring. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be a ring that indicates to other people that you're single and that you're looking to, you know, date and uh, meet somebody. Uh, so it's like, you know, I don't know how much it costs to make it, but it's probably like 10 cents they probably do it like you know in china yeah, yeah. or taiwan or something so it's like 10 cents or whatever you know 20 cents they've got you know maybe like a dollar at most with shipping and everything and import taxes i don't know but it's like probably super cheap to manufacture and import this and then they're selling it for 25 dollars. and there's like it's like a no tech business like they're doing marketing and customer acquisition mm -hmm. as if they're a tech business they're doing like really great pr they're doing like really great you know, they're crushing it on Facebook ads and, you know, social and YouTube and all that stuff. But uh, it's just, uh, it's so simple. It's like, 
it's like the most simple product. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, Liquid Death, the water. If you're familiar with that, uh, Liquid Death. I think I it was like uh, the branding, right? Like the the water was famous because of the of the branding itself, not. Yeah, so Liquid Death is. Uh, I have it up on my camera. It's just it's water. It's just yeah. water in a can. It's literally like there's nothing in it. Oh yeah, that looks like a beer. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a beer. And uh and then they have funny marketing. Like it'll says like liquid death, it murders your thirst. Uh yeah. drinking water yeah. from the Alps. They have like funny stuff on the can. So it's like so they're just like really good marketing. So it's like non-tech businesses that have really good marketing. Another one I saw is another water company recently. It's called Free Water. I think it's freewater.com or org or something like that. Yeah. Uh well the the production team will look it up and put it in the show notes here. But uh it's uh it's like free water and you can go online and order free cases of water, but they just have a bunch of advertisements on the, on the bottles. So they have like, you know, brands, you know, like Nike or, you know, whatever, like different companies, you know, will pay to put their, their logos all over the, the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, like some of this stuff, man, blows my mind. Like the creativity, like us B2B guys, like we're out there, like, figuring out business problems we're you know putting data behind it we're coming up with metrics you know we're you know optimize we're helping try to figure out how to optimize you know the business pays us a hundred dollars we save them a thousand dollars like we're trying to figure out like real business metrics and then you know scale up a business out of a fundamental uh you know solution but some of these consumer products are just like they blow my mind how simple they are there's like no innovation it's just pure marketing it's like pure marketing and psychology. It blows my mind sometimes. Uh, have you seen anything like that or any just like crazy, uh, crazy consumer, consumer product companies that just blow your mind? Yeah, like uh, I think the two key areas that I like B2C that I think about that can be really profitable because there are ideas that I think about market segmentation a lot, you know, like B2B or B2C, whatever. But I think about, you know, the segment that the idea is going to operate in. I think that's really, really key when you're going to build a company on how much that company is going to be worth in the future. Um, because there are areas, you know, they're very competitive and they don't pay a lot. And there are no known exits of any companies, you know, in that space. And then there are areas that are really like playing with ideas with new businesses and like huge valuations or so. So I think market is really key, no matter how good you, you are as a founder, if you go to a business that there is not good, that really matters, you know, from, in my opinion. So one area that I, I have very strong, you know, like uh, that, that I'm, I'm very like into the valuation thing is going to be like dating apps. You know, I think dating apps are crazy, you know, how much money they are worth, you know, it's insane. And you launch a new app and they're worth you a lot of money. So I think, um, if you get just like the largest one, I think it's Tinder. Like Tinder is worth $42 billion, you know? Holy and crap. Basically, wow. It's basically an app to put that together. And then if you put, if you get like um, other companies, you know, they're still in that space coming together, you know, like they're still worth like tens of billions of dollars, you know, apps that you have never seen before. So um, it, it's just like, it's just insane the valuations that you have on these dating apps. And the second thing is like finance apps, you know, apps that make you more money. And and if if I think about like it's like my what my co-founder said, it makes sense because it's always about like what people want to do, you know, like they, they want to have a you know date someone, you know, go on a date or something, or make more money. You know, that's what you know, it's a strong desire of people. Like when you wake up every morning, like what are you thinking about? Oh, I want to go out with this woman, with this guy, whatever. 
or you want to make more money, you know, either to go out with someone. So uh, these are like key things, key areas that um, that I've seen there. And then there are so many different, you know, app ideas within those, you know, some of them in the financial state, like people get too innovative, they, it becomes a fraud, right? Uh, we have seen this before a couple of times. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I really focus on those two spaces when I'm like thinking about ideas of how can we come up with those. I think also like in the financial state, um, you can always create like segmentations within those markets. So for example, you can say right now, which is like Tinder for um, the LGBT community, right? Or you can go, for example, and get like a financial app built for teenagers, or you can get a financial app built for Latinos, right? There isn't a financial app that I've seen the other day. It's basically like banking for Latinos because the app is all in Spanish and operates in the US. But like the apps in Spanish, like the, the the support is in Spanish and everything. And these guys are worth like $8 billion already just because they have like Wells Fargo Spanish version, you know? That's yeah, I've seen it. that a lot. I've, I've seen a lot of that where like, you know, there's all these yeah. private equities that just do in new markets, like they'll do in Eastern Europe or Latin America or Australia or whatever. They'll just do like successful companies mm -hmm. in the US and just like copy and paste it. Like you ever see... um you ever see the Silicon Valley show on HBO with uh, yeah. <laughs> Jin Yang? And there's that one episode where he's like on the whiteboard and he's like talking about like he's writing down all his ideas to build new companies. And he's like, you know, on the on the list of all his ideas, it was like China, Facebook, China, YouTube, uh, China, Pied Piper. And it was just like all, it's just all these like companies yeah. <laughs> listed, but like in China, basically. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, I think you find that regional market is worth a lot. Like one other idea that exploded at the time, you know, like at the same time of of Pipe Harper, you know, like the, the Citicom, it was uh, Uber, you know, Uber for different locations. So if you travel like to any other place outside of America, they're not, they, there is Uber, but there is like the other local solution, you know. So if you go like to India, there's a solution. China is another one, like Philippines is another one, you know, like South America is another one because people are just copying this Uber idea and implementing locally. So it, it's just insane. Like you can just copycat someone and it, it works, you know? So Yeah, yeah. The thing you said earlier, I don't know if you did it intentionally, but you mentioned uh, finance apps and dating apps. And those are like the two closest things to like human fundamental desires, like reproduction yeah. and... Uh, acquiring resources like those are two things that are like at the lowest level of like our you know some of our like lowest level desires which is really interesting that these you know and that's like what this pairing uh app that or this pairing ring thing that i showed you this startup yeah. uh you know they're somehow they're like they're literally just selling a piece a small piece of rubber like you can go on alibaba and order that for a dollar but uh, okay. and there's already like other companies that do it, like the silicone rings for like wedding bands, but working out, you know, so that you don't like hurt your skin or something if you're using a barbell. Uh, and those companies, like they're interesting. They probably have good multiples and good valuations and good revenue, but they're probably nowhere near. They didn't grow nearly as fast as this pairing business is doing only because yeah. pairing is like positioning themselves from a marketing perspective as an alternative to dating apps. So they're like, they're basically inserting themselves into the same category as dating apps. And uh, yeah, it just, it, it blows my mind, like the creativity behind that and just like the market penetration, like seeing that, seeing that opportunity in the market is just brilliant to me. 
Yeah, I mean, and I I don't think about as like I think the the ringer stone that they're using. I think that's just like something that customers they want to get get the money for what they're paying because that's one one challenge, right? Like people don't want like to pay for software; they like to pay for things. You know, like you, it's okay for you to pay you know fifty dollars on something, but you're gonna get like the actual thing, but you don't want to pay, you know, $2.99 for a subscription, whatever, on any apps, right? That's that's how we think. So I th- I don't think the service they are selling, it's basically like the 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 ring in itself, the rubber thing. They they're basically selling you uh the option to match with other people and that you know whole community and then like promoting you like like you hold that and it means something, right? Like that's what the service that you're getting. It's basically that like the ring is just like a way for you to transform that into like money, you know, like get the $25 or so. And like, we do that a lot as well. Like we sell you like, I think like we sell, like we try to do that over the years is like, how can we send you physical stuff when you're paying us thousands of dollars? Because you pay us, you get the software, you get the customer support, but you don't get any feeling. So I think that's why people send the swag, you know, like we have a lot of swag that we send to our clients just so they like become a client. They, they can touch the company and you know, they can touch the product with their hands. I this feeling I think is really important on B2C, like to touch the product with your bare hands and have like, oh, like I bought in event now, so I can touch the in event product. You know, like I think that's a, a feeling that a lot of people have, you know. I, I don't know. That's my thought on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Pedro, this was an awesome episode. I really enjoyed having you. I'd love to have Thank you me. back in the future if you're interested. Um uh, any closing, like, do you want to plug anything before we close out here today or anything you want to uh, close on? Uh, well, if um, if I can say anything is uh, is entrepreneur idea, you know, like keep pushing forward and you know, it's, it's, it's really nice. But if you're ever um, out there and you want to connect, you know, I'm available on LinkedIn. You know, I post uh, some thoughts there every week or so uh, when I'm not uh, trying to not traveling or anything like I'm, I'm always on linkedin so we can connect there um and thank you thank you very so much and that uh, was was a pleasure to be here and i like the ideas and uh yeah it was was just awesome to be here on this podcast today yeah likewise yeah we'll put your linkedin uh in the show notes for anybody listening that wants to go and connect to pedro uh links in the show notes but pedro uh awesome have a great week you you too thank you Yeah.